Hey everyone, I'm Misha Youssef. This is Tell Them I Am. No, not Call Me By Your Name. In 2014, my life fell apart. I almost got kicked out of school. I maxed out all my credit cards. I had to move back in with my parents and I got dumped. So I decided I was going to revamp my whole life, that this could not go on the way that was happening. And I heard about this book called The Power of Habit. But instead of reading it, what I did was go on Reddit and read little excerpts from the book. And I decided that I knew what my plan was. I was going to start brushing my teeth twice a day. And don't ask, uh, or actually do ask, I didn't used to brush my teeth. Sometimes I would brush them, like once every two days. So I decided I was going to put a reminder on my phone and brush my teeth twice a day. And that was going to be a keystone habit. From there, I started making my bed every morning and then working out every single day. I started writing articles and getting published. I finished all of the assignments that I had not finished and got my degree. I applied to grad schools for journalism and got into every single one of them. And the rest is history. Fast forward to today. I have some of these habits, but... A lot of these things I don't really do. I brush my teeth once a day. I work out maybe three times a week. I definitely had fries last night. I started thinking, why did these habits not last? And I realized I haven't actually read the whole book. I don't even know what the mechanism is behind habits. So I pick up The Power of Habit at an airport and I've been obsessively reading it. The thing that's really blowing my mind, even more than the individual habits, is group habits. One of the things that Charles Duhigg talks about, he's the author, is Rhode Island Hospital. It's this hospital that in the early 2000s to mid-2000s was having a lot of problems with its culture. The doctors were particularly abusive towards nurses, and nurses, even when they knew better, couldn't speak up against doctors. And the place where this played out the most was in the surgery room, where sometimes doctors wouldn't listen to nurses to the point where they would end up operating on the wrong part of the body. And so the nurses devised a system where they would warn each other covertly on which doctors to be aware of and which ones to speak out against. They would color code the names of the doctors. Black meant never speak out against him. He will fire you. Blue meant he's safe to talk to. And it made their day-to-day lives a little easier, but it didn't actually fix anything. It didn't change the toxic culture. And it led to patients getting hurt and dying and the hospital losing millions of dollars in settlements. I want to be clear, it's not the nurse's fault, right? They were trying to do everything they possibly could. But that's the thing about toxic cultures. To completely change the system, you need to do something truly drastic. And when you're not in a position of power, when your future depends on other people, when you could potentially lose your job, your livelihood, that's really scary. Assalamu alaikum. Nice to meet you, Misha. Wa alaikum assalam. This episode, Ryan Harris. Ryan Harris, champion of Super Bowl 50. I'm a broadcaster, a speaker, and a real estate investor. Before becoming a Super Bowl champion... Ryan played college football at Notre Dame. I was 21 at the time. These were the days of strongman competitions on TV when working out meant men getting greased up and jacked. Yeah, so you come in, you usually pounded a little uh, Gatorade protein shake, you know, uh, because you needed some carbs and protein, you know, and and, uh, you, you do a small stretch 
and you're with your teammates. I remember when I was a freshman, one of the older linemen had had a back situation and he was sobbing at his locker room one day in the Notre Dame stadium. And uh, we, you know, went out, Hey man, what's going on? And he's just, he threw his tears and, and sobbing in an environment of, of masculinity, like the alpha males, the no weakness, we prey on weakness kind of mentality. You know, here's this huge man, 320 pounds, just blubbering, just sobbing. He said, it's over. It's over. I can't play anymore because of my back. And he ended up getting a surgery and the scar was so big that he did a tattoo of a tombstone and he put the years that he played uh, on it, on that tombstone and the scar from his back kind of went up the middle of it. So when I had some, uh, the back issue happen, I thought, oh my God, there goes my entire dream. So what happens is you go home for about two weeks, then you come back for two summer sessions. And what you do in those summer sessions is you lift every single day. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Offensive linemen are together. Receivers go together. Defensive players go together in these little groups. And we split up over this enormous weight room and we rotate all these exercises. So, uh, you know, one exercise is, you know, you're, you're doing bicep curls. Uh, you know, in the next exercise, you're doing tricep presses. And then the next group is doing squats. And the next group is doing lunges. They had all these stations. And so it was about the fourth station when we went to the squat the squat station. So I was in uh, in the squat rack and we were doing what they call double banded box squat. There's two bands on either side. So I sat back to sit on this box. And then when I rotated forward to stand up, I just felt the pop. And I was able to rack, put the weight back. And then I took a step and my whole leg just, my whole back and leg just froze, writhing like just a searing pain through from my left heel all the way up. Felt like to the bottom of my skull and I fell on the ground screaming, writhing in pain. And so I'm like, I think I snapped my back in half. And they're like, no, you didn't do that. And, and the tough thing with a back injury too, after I was screaming, writhing in pain, everybody stopped what they're doing and they came and got me and they took me to the training room. And, uh, but one of the things with back pain is, is it looks fine, right? Like I look normal, whether I had a ruptured disc or not. So they, so immediately kind of in that kind of toxic masculinity uh, space, you know, well, you look fine. Okay, well, I must be fine if I look fine then, right, guy? You know, people, grown men looking at you, literally literally leaning in on you as you're sitting on a table saying, you know, I remember one of my injuries, one of my trainers says, so you feel better today? And I said, no. And he says, well, why not? Uh, what do you mean, why not? Why, why don't I feel better? I don't know. And he said, well, we did more therapy today than we did than we did yesterday. I, said, well, I, I don't know what you want me to tell you. I, I don't feel better today. And you know, the stare away look of like, are you just trying to, well, you're trying to be a, a soft, a soft player. You're, you're not tough. You, we can't rely on you. And then you start saying, well, hold on a second. You know, you can rely on me. I mean, yeah, you know what? I, now that I think about it, I do feel a little better, I guess, you know, and what does a little better mean? So, uh, so this is the environment that you're in constantly as a high functioning athlete, especially when you haven't proven yourself yet is a scary time and a time where, I know no information. I'm trusting all the information and I'm doubting my own pain that my body's feeling. And uh, that's a lot. And uh, I was taken to the training room where they said, hey, you probably just had a spasm. You know, you know, you look fine. Uh, let's just give you some rest for a couple of days. And so I rested a couple of days, walked around. It was still tight, but I, you know, I didn't put any pressure on it. Then Ryan goes back to the gym. So I got in again, cracked a protein shake and Drank, drank the protein shake, joked through the warm-ups, and then got to the squat rack, and then 
fell down again, writhing in pain. And uh, the one coach's idea was to yank my leg that that would that way would it would release the pressure on my nerve. And I'm thinking there, okay, great, thank God, you know, uh, oh yeah, that's, that's that's all it is, guys. Like I'm gonna be fine. Like I'm just thinking to myself, like I am not fine. Like I, you know, I almost need a change of pants here. It's just hurting so bad. And uh, and so they were yanking on my leg on and. There, did, did that do it? No, no, not yet. You know, try again, you know, pull it again. Oh, yeah, I think I felt something. I think it's going to loosen up. But that's a lie. He doesn't feel better. So they eventually take him to get an MRI. I herniated my disc. And what happens is imagine a marshmallow in between two graham crackers. And if you squeeze it and part of that marshmallow pieces off, right, that's what happened to the disc in my back. And it was rubbing against my spine and my nerves. Ryan goes into surgery at 6 a.m. the next morning so they can operate on his spine. So what they do is they go in and they shave. So imagine again that that kind of graham cracker pressing uh, a marshmallow. So they go in and they shave the outside of it. They really, uh, they tr- like they call it trim the fat. Like they just take the piece out and shave it and then they seal you up. So all the pain that I had going into it, I was perfect. I felt amazing immediately when I woke up. The common recovery from a back surgery is four months. And I went out uh, after three and a half weeks. And he doesn't just go back. He goes back to the first game of the season, Notre Dame versus Georgia Tech. Yeah, so in the warm-ups, you know, and I always hated this song afterwards, Phil Collins' In the Air Tonight was playing. And I thought, man, you know, this is such a weird song to be playing. Like, am I going to get hurt again? Am, you know, how, where am I? And this is all going through my head when I'm getting ready to go play in a game. And coach says, hey, you look pretty good. So I think we're going to play you. We'll, we, you know, we'll, we'll play you a few plays. The game starts and they put him in right from the top. I'm thinking, OK, we're going to get up by them and, and by 21 points in the first quarter. And then I'm going to be out, you know, for the rest of the game. So he expects to be taken out at any point. He plays a whole quarter. No one says anything. Third quarter, uh, I was like, well, I think they want me to play. So I went out there and, uh, and we ended up, I ended up finishing the game. And uh, I remember walking off thinking, I can't believe I just did that. Like, I must be, I'm a, you know, we've got the best training staff in the world. I only, uh, you know, I healed in three and a half weeks. It's supposed to be four months. Um, but the truth was, you know, I was setting myself up for a while uh, to have a deep and lasting relationship with pain. You know, one of the terms that really has changed sports has been toxic masculinity. And, and one of the ways toxic masculinity used to present itself when I was in college was no matter what the safety is, this is how you get strong. This is what we did in the 80s. This is what the best teams did. And so you really, and especially in college, you don't have the ability to question a lot, right? A coach can handle your, really create or kill your entire career if you have any aspirations to go to the NFL. And if you said, hey, you know, this hurts, the immediate response was, oh, well, you're weak. It's not that you're incapable or this is unsafe, but you're weak. When did your relationship with pain change? When did your relationship with masculinity change? It changed after my third back surgery. I was with the Philadelphia Eagles. And, you know, I just felt like I didn't have anything else to prove. I'd already already started some games in the NFL. And I began to see pain as information versus like a badge of honor. And I gave myself adequate time. I gave myself, 
you know, five months to recover. And I did core exercises. I still do. I did um, yoga. I still do. And to me, it changed how I viewed masculinity from look at all the pain I can deal with to, you know, I have to manage and stand up for myself when my body's telling me I, I'm not as healthy as I need to be or that I need some rest or this is what I need. So masculinity became much more about accountability for me. And for me, it stopped becoming, I'm going to show everybody how much of a man I am, but how much pain I can tolerate. I'm going to be a man for myself and really dictate how I'm going to take care of my body, who's going to dictate when I'm healthy. You know, being 33 black and retired is, I'm a unicorn, you know, and and we talked a little bit about, you know, uh, how my grandfathers had served and, and that always built into me you know, a lot of people risk a lot more for a lot less. Your injuries almost are, are are responsible for your financial freedom. You know, do you do you do you feel angry about that? No, my kids have a college fund. I want them to be able to study what they want without having to play and sacrifice as I did uh, my body. I want them to be able to study philosophy if they want. You know, um, I would advise them to get build a skill, right? <laughs> we all like philosophy, but can't really get a job with it, right? Um, but hey, I studied philosophy. <laughs> hey, I loved it, and then uh, you know, but but my skill playing football, you know, took me a little further than my philosophy could have. But uh, you know, that's my goal. That's what my grandparents did for for my parents, and my parents have done for me. And hopefully now, fortunately now. Um, you know, God willing, my children will be able to to be able to experience life without the sacrifice that I was that I've that I've given willingly, and uh, and hopefully I'm around to watch it. You can learn more about Ryan Harris through his book Mindset for Mastery or his own podcast Kreckman and Harris. Thank you so much for listening to Tell Them I Am. I'm Misha Youssef. This episode of Tell Them I Am was sound designed by me and written by Mary Knopf and me. Mary is my producer. And don't tell James Kim, but she stole all of his M&Ms while he was in Europe. Arvin Nix is our editor. Valentina Rivera and Sean Corey Campbell are our engineers. Our beautiful music is by David Leinard. You can find illustrations of all our guests as the episodes release. Thanks to Emin Ahmed for those. You should really see them. Follow me or Emin on Instagram. Find me at Misha Youssef. Our beautiful series tile art is by Elizabeth Goodspeed. This podcast was originally a production of LAS Studios. Now presented by Higher Ground Audio and Spotify. We'll be back tomorrow with another story. <laughs>